Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here we have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship. Welcome to our latest episode of our EquiConnect podcast brought to you by McKee Pownell Equine Services. I am your host, Mike Pownell, joined by my co-host, Karen Fell. Good morning, afternoon, Karen. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. We're just like at noon, so I wasn't sure what time of day we were. <laughs> Could go either way. Today, we have a very special guest. We are joined by Dr. Rafa Gomez from our Caledon location, discussing the topic of horse reproduction. Thanks for joining us, Rafa. Thank you for inviting me again. This is amazing. I'm glad to be here. So tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your background. I can say this much. You joined the practice in early 2021, but let our listeners know a bit about you. Well, yes, I've been here for two years now, and it's been amazing. But before that, I was practicing in Mexico City. I had my own practice, and basically, I did a lot of reproduction and some ambulatory clinic, too. But my main focus has always been reproduction, for sure. And you're second-generation veterinarians, too. That's pretty cool. Yes, yes, yes. My dad is also a vet. He also did his fair share of uh, reproduction uh, and medicine. He used to do some cattle and some horses. So, actually, this is funny. My first experience in equine reproduction, I wasn't even in vet school. I was with my dad. Uh, he was checking mares, and he had this mare that was late pregnancy. Uh, probably she was just about to fall out or something like that that he was checking. I was always with him, and I was always interested. And he looked at me, and he was like, do you want to pop her? And I was like, scared. And my jaw dropped, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I put the glove on, put lube, go inside the mare, and I remember like, what do you feel? And I was like, just warm and squishy. <laughs> He's like, okay, go further, Dave. Put your palm down and you're going to feel kind of like a balloon. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he knew I wasn't feeling anything. He was like, okay, you're more or less there. Just do a, like a tiny tap. Just bounce it. When I did that, I actually felt the foal's head oh, bounce wow. against my hand. And I was hooked on it. Since there, like, I was like, wow, I really want to do this. This is so cool. And ever since I entered vet school, I was just waiting for that repro class, waiting for that repro class. That's when it hooked me. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely tell in the last couple of years of us working together, you're so passionate about reproduction. Obviously, it comes in the family from your dad as well. Yeah, hey, yeah, we have it. <laughs> we have it in the bloodline. But what do you love so much about it? Like, why? Like, I mean, not many, uh, let's be honest, folks, when not many people love working at one end of a horse all the time. <laughs> yes, I'm one of those weirdos. Uh, I don't know. For me, I'm just passionate about babies, honestly, and in all of their stages. So you're basically playing with baby horses before they were born. Also, you're helping the industry and you're helping bringing new champions, uh, better racers. You're just in that process where the magic happens. And once you start reading about it, studying the reproduction, and you understand how difficult it could be for a single spermatozoid to just reach that O side and 
fertilize it, and then it becomes a bunch of cells, and then it becomes an embryo, and then it becomes a fetus, and then you see a baby trying to kick you. That's amazing for me. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's crazy. I love it. I love that outlook too, that you're adding to the industry. Like it, it just seems like breeding, you're, you're getting a baby, but I love your perspective on that. That's amazing. Okay. So let's get into the nitty gritty of this. So we're recording this towards the end of November. Fall is ending. We're moving into the beginning of winter. What are mares going through now in terms of cycling? So we're trying to think in the future. And one thing I've learned from you is that, you know, you just don't decide one day, I want to breed my mare. You got to plan in advance. Yes, you have to plan ahead. And it's funny that I say that because me personally, in my personal life, I suck at planning. (laughs) But when it comes to breeding the mares, it just comes natural and everything is in a chart and everything has to be planned ahead. So mares, they do not cycle all year long. So we have four main stages. So we have the reproductive stage or the season that we know that is spring and summer, after these, they go through a transition. It's a fall transition. That is what most mares are experiencing right now, where those ovaries start to shut down to begin the next stage, that it would be the anestrus, where they're not going to cycle. They're quiet. Their ovaries are quiet, and they're just there. Once uh, this anestrus phase is over, they jump into a, the next transitional phase that it's the spring transition, and then they go back to the reproductive season. All of these is influenced by the daylight. Everything, it's about the daylight with the mares. So right now, all of the mares would be in that transitional phase, and there are some mares that are already in the anestrus phase. What is to come? So when you're sitting there and you're counseling uh, people now, so they're saying, you know, and people are inquiring, I want to breed my mare next year. So what are you telling them to do? Like it's November, December. What's to come? What are you, what are you telling them to do for the next couple of months? My first question is, when do you want your foal to be born? Right? Because we have to think about it in this part of the, of the world, what is called at the beginning of the year. But also, what is this horse life is going to be? It's not the same for a racehorse, for a quarter horse, than for a show horse, right? So I'm always wanting people, encouraging people to breathe earlier on the year because if by any chance the mare doesn't catch, we have more time to work with her and to figure out what's going on with her. At this time, what it would be the best thing to do is would be to start the mares on light treatment to kind of play with their photo period and with their cycling and literally with their brain to make them think that we are in the spring and that they can start cycling earlier. When we do this treatment, where mares will start to cycle around February, that, that's when we want to start breeding the mares. That's awesome. When do we start doing cycle checks on the mares for breeding? It depends. I advise if you didn't breed a mare or is a mare that a mare that didn't cut on a season, I would advise to check her on the fall, sort out why she didn't cut, and then treat her and let her be through the winter, and then we can recheck her again once she's cycling. Now, if it's a new mare or it's the mares that we started on lights. 
Now, the, the light treatment is very important that we know that it has to be two months of light treatment. And this light, it has to be 16 hours per day. So usually the rule of thumb is we start the Marisone lights on November 15th. We leave them for two months. That would get us to January 15th. And we will start checking mares at the end of January because they still have to go to that transitional process where the ovaries start to, to produce follicles. But the first follicles are not always the ones that are going to pop. And we're still waiting for that first ovulation. So if the mares are on light, I would say at the last week of, uh, of January, we would start checking them and following their, their cycles just so we can have a sense of when they had that first ovulation. Once they had that first ovulation, they're just going to start cycling and cycling and cycling. And is when we can start playing with them. <laughs> Exciting times to come at that time. Yes, the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> what are the main differences between breeding fresh and frozen semen? So there's a couple differences. The first one, it's very obvious, but we still have to talk about it. It's the type of semen that you're using. One is fresh or chilled, meaning that that semen was collected from the stallion. It was evaluated. That that's very important, and that's more important when you're trying to compare natural cover against fresh. That with fresh semen, you actually saw the spermatozoids. You have a count. You know how many of them are moving, and they have progressive motility, and they're moving forward, and they're healthy. Uh, and then you can have diluents that help those spermatozoids to be healthy. So that would be one. Now, fresh semen, it's only good once you process it for 48, maybe 72 hours. Well, the rule of thumb is 48 hours. So you have to be inseminating in that time frame. Frozen semen, on the other hand, you also collect the stallion, process it, but then it goes through that cryo process. Yeah, to freeze it. To freeze it, yeah. You freeze that uh, that semen and you can storage it for years and years and years. Oh, I didn't realize you could store it for years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be in as long as you have uh, your nitrogen tank filled constantly and you never lose that uh, that volume, it can be there for years. So the main difference also is going to be the volume. And those sperms also suffer a lot because of those temperatures that they have been in, right? So you freeze them and then you have to thaw them. So we're talking that a good fresh semen, you're going to get 60, 70% of motel sperms. With a frozen semen, if you get 30%, it's great semen to be inseminating. So that's basically uh, the difference between the semen. Now, when we go to the process on how we're going to breathe our mares, when you do it with fresh, you can play a little bit more with the time when the mare is going to ovulate. So we know that once you inseminate a mare with fresh or chilled semen, the semen inside that mare is going to be alive and available for, for that oocyte from 24 to 48 hours. So you can plan ahead and make the or induce the mare to ovulation so it lands in that time frame. Now, when you go to frozen semen, that semen is only going to be alive for eight hours. So you have to be very keen 
on inducing that mare, following that ovulation, because also, once the mare ovulates, you only have six hours for that oocyte to be viable. So the differences in the processes, we go for a fresh mare, we go, we check the mare, we identified a pre-ovulatory follicle, she has great edema, she doesn't have any fluid, she's healthy. We induce her, and usually 24 hours after we induce the mare, we want to be inseminating with the fresh semen. Now, with a frozen mare, we're going to be following her, same. We see a um, pre-ovulatory follicle, great edema, we induce the mare, and now we w- we're going to start checking her every six hours, religiously, every six hours. Because mares can respond differently to the hormones and we don't want any mare to ovulate. And if we are uh, outside that six-hour window, our chances of getting her pregnant with the frozen semen are going to decrease like significantly. So we're just checking them overnight. Once they ovulate, as soon as they ovulate, we are inseminating with the frozen semen. Now, the third main difference is the process of insemination. For the fresh semen, what we do is just a transcervical insemination. So we just deposit the semen in the uterine body, and the volumes are usually high. They range from 20 ml to 60 ml. So we just deposit it there and leave it there. With the frozen, the, the volumes, they can range from 4 ml to 6 ml, maybe 8 ml. So we use a different process that is called a deep horn insemination, where we go all the way to the tip of the uterine horn, where the preovulatory follicle is, and we deposit the semen right there, right in the door to the oviduct. So, and you know how to do that by ultrasound. Can you palpate it, or you need to do that by ultrasound? Both. We use our hands to palpate the mare, once they have a preovulatory follicle, you can have different characteristics that you can one feel how thick it is, how soft it is, where is it located, and the other one by ultrasound, you want to make sure one to evaluate the whole uterus that you don't have any fluid, two that you have good edema because good edema means that you have good estrogens, and good estrogens means that you have a good follicle and that the hormones are there for that stage of the cycle. And three, you want to evaluate that ovary and that follicle. And with the ultrasound, you can tell when she ovulated, how long, more or less, how long it was, if it was a recent ovulation or if it's already too late and how close she's getting to to ovulate. And I think what's really special about this is often you're doing this at two in the morning. Yes, (laughs) yes, 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 yes. We have a lot of late date nights with the mayors. (laughs) (laughs) when we're checking them in the middle of the night because we don't want to miss that ovulation. And that's why it's so important to have the mares at the facility because to drive out to a farm at 2 in the morning is not desirable. Yes, it's not desirable. We have a room here in the farm where we can stay and really we just get up, go down, check the mares, go up, back to sleep another six hours and then go down, check the mares again and on and on until they ovulate. <laughs> you drink coffee, right? Like some sort of caffeine, I assume. It's funny. I don't like coffee. Oh, oh <laughs> my goodness. I'm also a weirdo that way. <laughs> well, good for you for doing this without any sort of caffeine involved. Yeah. So I guess the, the third one we want to talk about is embryo transfer. So, I mean, the name seems self-explanatory, but it's a lot more complex than that. 
Yeah, this is amazing. And it's so exciting to talk about this. It's actually a very, very old technique. I mean, the first time that it was done, it was actually in bunnies and it was in the late, I think it was 1800s or something like that. The concept is pretty simple. You inseminate one donor mare and then you take the embryo, the product of that donor mare, and you put it into a surrogate or a recipient mare. So it sounds simple, but it's an amazing process. Basically, what we have to do is we check the mare, the donor mare, like it was any other mare. We usually breed with the fresh because you have better results uh, than with frozen. You can still do it with frozen, yeah, but your recovery and pregnancy rates are going to be lower, but you can still do it. So you inseminate the mare. As usual, check for ovulation. It's very important that we know exactly when that mare ovulates. This is going to influence at what day we're going to flush that mare to recover that embryo. So once we inseminate that mare, at the same time, we are checking the recipient mares. And it's important to notice that I said mares, because <laughs> the, the recommendation is always that you have at least two to three recipient mares per donor. And this is because sometimes recipients, they don't play fair. And they can have also infections or fluid or things that are not suitable for them to receive a baby. And a lot of times we don't notice that until the date of the flush. So it's important that that day we have mares to pick so we can find the perfect one for the donor mare. Once we inseminated, she ovulated. Uh, the recipient mare has to ovulate one to two days after the donor. And then we plan a flush in seven to eight days after she ovulated. What happens inside your mare during these seven to eight days? If you, you have the fertilization process, the cells start to develop, you start getting an embryo. That embryo is going to start growing in the oviduct only. Now, funny thing that only happens in horses, these first days of the pregnancy happen in the oviduct and horses need to have like a key. The embryo needs to have a key for that embryo to drop and fall down to the uterus where we're going to, to recover. It is the only species. That key is called prostaglandin E. So if they don't have an embryo, that door is going to keep closed. This is what's happening. So on day 6.5, that embryo is going to open that little door between the oviduct and the uterus, and it's going to fall down into the uterus. Now, how does this embryo tell mom, I'm here? So it's, we think that it's because that embryo starts moving and it's just traveling all around the uterus from horn to horn to the uterine body, telling the mom like, hey, I'm here, I'm here. So that that embryo is loose. So when we do the flush in the day seven or eight, that embryo is going to be loose. What we are aiming to recover is an early blastocyst uh, or an expanded blastocyst. We can also, if you do it too early, you can get a marula stage embryo. Those are the ones that you want. And the process is pretty simple. We usually, I like to sedate the, the mares to make them feel comfortable. We put a catheter that goes to the uterus and it has one end that goes to a special fluid bag. And then the other end uh, goes through a filter where we're going to recover that embryo. So we basically fill the uterus with this fluid. We give it a 
a little bit of a massage. We make that embryo bounce a little bit so we can get it can get sucked by that fluid when we retrieve it through the filter. And then we just go to the lab, search for the embryo. And if we have an embryo, we have to put it in a little straw. First, we have to clean it. We give it a little shower for it. <laughs> and this is just to, to take away any detritus or cells that might have been in that flush that are coming from the donor mare. We don't want to put that inside the recipient mare because her body might think that that's weird and might react and she might reject the, the baby. So we give it a little batting and special solution called holding media. And then we put in a little straw and we transfer it uh, to the recipient mare. Now, after this point, I tell people that your most important animal in your farm is that recipient mare. Your recipients are going to be the stars of your program. I know the donor mares are the ones that have the good genetics. Uh, I know they're going to be the expensive ones, but the recipient mare is the star of the program. So you just have to pamper her, make her not be stressed at all. And we do a pregnancy check like we do on any other mare uh, seven days after the transfer. And hopefully we're lucky enough. We're going to see a, an embryonic vesicle on the ultrasound. This is kind of mind blowing when you listen to it. I can see why you're so enthusiastic about it. This is kind of mind blown right now. I know. I love it. It's As I said, you're literally playing with a baby horse before it's even a baby horse. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm just thinking back to when we brought up embryo transfers and it was just this the simple quote unquote concept of oh you just you know breed one mare take out the embryo put it in the second and that was i don't know five minutes of explanation ago yeah sorry about that i get a little excited <laughs> no no it's a very complicated process but something that's very cool that we have the ability to do yeah it's it's complicated but it's fairly simple to do it's not that invasive of the bears and it's being done more than than ever nowadays so it's still pretty simple but it there is a lot of science behind it and it's fascinating it's very cool now you mentioned earlier that around this time you recommend to horse owners that are looking to breed next season to start putting them under lights is there anything else that horse owners could be doing now to start looking forward to the 2024 breeding season yes for sure you have to look at your mares, we don't want to forget that it's not just the mare that is going to be bred. It's not just a brood mare. It's a horse, right? So all of health aspects, vaccinations, deworming, dental care, it's very important. Making sure that they have a good body condition, that they're not either overweight or too skinny because that's going to affect on reproduction and on their cycles. So you want to make sure that your mares are healthy. If you're going to put them on lights, make sure that you have the appropriate uh, time of lights. You don't want to overdo it. It's not like you can just turn on the light and leave it all night long because you might be risking it because there's this thing called photorefractory uh, where mares stop listening to the lights, even though it's in their nature, but they also have kind of like their biological clocks. So it is like, Lights are not supposed to be behaving like this. I'm not supposed to be on lights all day long. So you know what? I'm not going to cycle until I get my dark and my light hours. So it's very important that we do 14 to 16 hours only of lights. And also it will save you a little bit on electricity bill. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> 
So let's get to our next section, and it's Mythbusters. In the horse industry, we have a lot of, this is the way we've always done it. And, but the science is always changing, so let's go through a couple of them. Sure. Is this a myth? Mares are monoovulatory, meaning they only ovulate one follicle at a time. <laughs> That's a myth. Uh, mares can have double ovulations. Yeah, it doesn't happen often. If my brain is not tricking me, I think it's 25% of the times that they can get double ovulations. That's why we like to follow them during their cycle to make sure that they're not going to do these double ovulations. That's also why we like to do early pregnancy checks. Uh, in case we have twins, we can manage them. If somebody's not breeding until March of next year, they don't need to have an ultrasound appointment until that time. Well, as I said before, I think it's important if you plan ahead and start checking on your mare on the fall when you can still treat them, diagnose them, make sure that they are clean. I think you can save a little bit of stress once the repro season comes because what we want uh, during the season is the ideal is to get the mare pregnant on the first try. So if you don't check them before and you run into problems once you inseminate the mare, then everything starts to fall apart. Even though we can treat and get her um, bred again, I think it's better if you plan ahead, treat them during the fall, and then when the spring comes, if they're still okay, then you can breed them, and hopefully they will catch on the first try, and that's what we all want. I guess the more important concept, and I want to make sure we cover this, is that you know if you start breeding early enough in the year, it doesn't happen, you have the next chance. Exactly. As opposed to it's June. And then you're trying exactly. to breed again in July, and th and that's fine. They'll come out, and the baby will be born. Let's say it was bred in July, will be bred, you know, born in June. Yeah, but not a lot of time for a developing baby before it's stuck inside again in the winter. Exactly. So it's exactly, and we also have to consider the stud schedule, the collecting schedule, because a lot of the stallions now they have certain dates, and they close June or July. I think most of them are in the middle of July, their last collection because they also have to recover. They've been working all, all season long. So we also have to think about it. You have that time pressure. So if you start breeding your mare uh, late June and she didn't cut, and then you're fighting to see if you're going to get that last uh, dose of semen. And There's a lot of pressure, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the last one is breeding my mare is cheaper than buying a foal. <laughs> I think that's kind of like a trick question because there is a depends. it depends in a lot of factors. It depends on the type of breeding that you want to do. It could go as cheap as I never check my mare and just put her with a stallion outside in the paddock and give them a blessing. And well, yeah, that kind of sounds cheap if you want to think about vet bills, but it could go really, really wrong when your mare kicks the stallion in the leg and fracture it or the other way around, or she had she gets infections, or you don't even know if this stallion is fertile. So there's a lot of complications that comes to that. Like my main advice would be I love breeding. And I think it's very important that we are we breed horses and that we improve the genetics on the horses. So if you're thinking about breeding, think ahead, plan ahead. Think about your mare's bloodline, their stallion bloodline that you want. 
if everything goes well and everything and we do everything by the book, hopefully, if the mares permit, they will catch and everything is great. And everything is great. <laughs> Rafa, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode of our EquiConnect podcast. If there's a topic you would like to learn more about, contact us and let us know. Also, if you have any questions that you would like a vet to answer, please send them to us on Facebook, Instagram, call, or email. Thank you. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.